There are no categories, man. We're all just one. You're listening to Feminist Killjoys, PhD, and our feminism, pop culture, and politics as discussed by two professional killjoys. I'm Rachel. And I'm Melody. And today we will be chatting about a whole lot of news, including the Kevin Hart and Ellen Oscars interview, the new Surviving R. Kelly documentary, the death of Jasmine Barnes, and how about some light stuff too, like my Golden Globes picks, and maybe Melody's if she has some. But first, hey Mel, how's it going? I don't watch movies. Sometimes you do. Sometimes I do. Also, the Golden Globes also includes television. I was going to ask you when we get there to describe the difference between the Golden Globes and the Oscars, because I couldn't explain it to my partner, except that the Oscars are more fancy. I mean, that's, I think, like a good answer also. Okay. But also the Golden Globes includes TV and the Oscars. Okay. Okay. They're like... Very, it's like the New York Times. Right. Well, like even, gold- even more prestigious, I think. Like the oh New Yorker. Oh, my goodness. Oh, the my goodness. The New Yorker. I can't even read the New Yorker. It's so <laughs> difficult for me. I'm just like, what am I in ac- academia again? I haven't reading it for free. <laughs> Not even for credit. It's you ridiculous. just got like real like Northern England. <laughs> I got, I went a lot of ways with that one. It shows my diversity in using accents. Thank I you. I like it. We're in, for academics that listen, which is a lot of us, we're in, like, prepping for spring mode, probably. Yeah, so I'm putting together my syllabi, and um, in between all that, well, that and then getting my online modules all together now, because Mm -hmm. that's what we do. So it's like, putting together your syllabus is part one, and then part two is putting together your online, like, whatever it is, D2L or Canvas, whatever you all use. It's like, it just helps me. Like, it's better. It's just prep work for the semester. And the more I do this week, the less I have to do later. Exactly. Yeah. But then I've also been hanging out with my nephews a lot. And I'm been really happy the last couple days there's been a lot of news about people in the united states who got voted in in november they're all getting sworn in now into congress Mm -hmm. so we're getting these really nice news stories about like elon omar who is our representative in congress getting sworn in and she made news because she is the first muslim definitely the first somali but first muslim woman i think at this level in congress yeah definitely because she, I guess they had to like pass a new rule that she could wear a hair covering because they didn't have that. Like it was barred actually. Wow. Which is just strange that people yeah. couldn't wear head coverings. Like, right. W- for whatever reason, which means whenever I become a politician, I'm going to have to pass something where I can wear like my bike cap so I don't right. have migraines. <laughs> it's like, what the right. heck, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The, the sort of decorum and formality of that stuff is just clearly you know but also interesting because like the founding fathers were had pieces that were you know like wigs so i don't know yeah well those don't count because men are wearing them because it's not it's not actually covering it's like hair so right (laughs) you're wrong oh and i'm very excited about scott walker being done tomorrow so we're recording this so bye so monday he's gone and then tony evers is the new governor of wisconsin and the best part about this is actually the worst part. Scott Walker is moving to Milwaukee. 
Really? Yeah, and he hates Milwaukee, and Milwaukee hates him. Like, he never, like, it's always nothing. Nobody votes for him in Milwaukee. Why and is he's he doing that? There. I don't fucking know, because he's the worst human being possible, and he just <laughs> thinks of the worst ideas, and then he's like, I'll do that. <laughs> he can move anywhere Ooh. he wants to. Yeah. He's just trolling us or whatever. Yeah. Ugh. I hope that if you ever run into him, you... Oh, have like a great! I have so many ideas. Oh, don't worry. There's so many people in Milwaukee that are like you know planning. There's lots of things. Yeah, such as silly string in his face. You know (laughs) things like that. Yeah. Anyways, how are you doing? I'm pretty good. Uh, We haven't talked since the holidays. My holidays were you know in St. Louis and then Cleveland, and both of those were actually quite nice. That's not always the case um, because of you know feelings and family and. Um, but it was, it was pretty, it was pretty good this year. Had a very low key New Year's. We got in on New Year's Eve. So I shockingly stayed, made it to midnight, but then went to sleep shortly after, um, or like literally immediately after. And, uh, since then, the bulk of my time, I'm, I'm also trying to prep for the spring and in prepping for the spring, I'm also teaching a winter session class, um, for my old school that I, that I used to teach at. And, um, also doing my, residency at the future, um, which longer time listeners know that I have this residency at this lovely, amazing witch shop that we interviewed last last month, or two months ago now. And so I'm the witch, the artist in residence making the scene that I've talked about on the show before um, that I'm making with my incarcerated pen pal. And it's so much work, but also like, so fun to make a zine again. And it's like, it's a big fucking zine. And I'm using this resograph printer, which I'd really actually mail live on air making plans. Like if I would love you to stop by on Monday or Tuesday, I bet you will have like guidance, just like intuitive guidance, because it's like, it's very like manual labor in a way that I just, that feel it. it, I mean, you'll have to see it. It's like a beautiful machine and it's huge ink cartridges that you have to like put in one at another and you have to do to make a different, to make one image that has multiple colors, you have to do it like one at a time. Like it'll only print pink and then it'll only print blue, but then you get this like beautiful, vivid color. Anyway, I'm, I'm rambling about it. It's a beautiful thing. I'm really excited about it. So far, I've just been in compiling mode, so I haven't actually started the printing process yet. But anyway, it's really fucking cool and a lot of time, but it just means that this week has just, and I'm teaching yoga. So it's just been like truly nonstop things that I'm really loving and enjoying, but it's just been, it's been kind of intense. And uh, speaking of that, I don't know if I, I can breathe for a second if you need to say anything. Will you come and look at this printer? Yeah, that sounds really cool. Okay. Awesome. I'd love to see it. I've never seen one of those before, so. It's pretty cool. Do you have to train um, yourself? Yeah, Lacey, the owner of the shop, um, gave me uh, like a quick tutorial and I've watched a bunch of YouTube videos. Um, but so yeah, so yes, I mean, Lacey helped and I'm sure she'll be helpful, you know, anytime she's there. You know, I have to, I've been watching these videos to try to learn how to do it mostly. That sounds cool. It's cool. But speaking of that, and before we get into the sort of show topics, the current events, this article started circulating today um, from Anne Helen Peterson, who we've talked about on the show before. We sort of think of her as sort of like a a comrade of uh, media studies who did everything right, tried to get a tenure track position and didn't. And so she left and went to BuzzFeed and writes these beautiful long form pieces um, that I 98% of the time 
agree with. And the piece that she wrote today is called How Millennials Became the Burnout Generation. And as I was sort of listing all this shit that I was doing and hearing all the stuff that you do made we, we both texted about this article. And so I thought maybe we could just like chat a little bit about that before we get into the the news of 2019 so far. That sounds great. I mean, it's a very long piece and she goes into a lot of different things, which is the quintessential aspect of long form journalism. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I mean, I felt like the actually the thing that I have been thinking about the most after reading it is the way towards the bot, the end, like she shares about this cartoon about women's um, emotional labor about how we have to always be thinking of things ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And the cartoon that she links to is of a French cartoonist. And it's really based on like a mother being in a house and how she always has to remember about like when the toilet paper is going to run out. And, mm-hmm. and so I just, I was, I've been thinking about that more than anything and not necessarily in my home life, but just at work and just mm-hmm. everywhere about how I'm always doing that stuff. And also I feel like a lot of the stuff that she talks about is, grounded in ADHD, as she brought up right away, Mm -hmm. and then also anxiety. So, Mm -hmm. um, but then again, she also talks about how our generation has like skyrocketing rates of anxiety to begin with. Right. Um, And then I was also, the only other thing that I'd say up front is thinking a lot about how, especially like my dad, who benefited a lot from the generation that we are not from, like in terms of having a stable job right outside of college, like he paid for his tuition being a manager at Hardee's, mm. um, you know, and then had a job right outside of college and then like raised a family of four in very nice suburban houses, mm-hmm, you know, and like mm-hmm. that is just so not where I'm at right now. Yes. Whether by choice or by I think some of it is choice and some of it is just like impossibility. Like I'm yeah. just trying to think like you know, when people are like, are you going to have children? I'm like, with what money? Like, right. I can't, you know, it's not like I, I don't make nothing, but I wouldn't want to bring a child into my house if I couldn't support them in a more financially secure way. Right. I'm, you know, I barely have my stuff together now at age right. 36. Right. So I guess it's our generation. Yeah. I mean, so for folks who haven't read it, I, I mean, I think you're kind of getting a sense of what, what it's all about, but you know, this main argument is, you know, sort of another in-depth look at this sort of criticism of millennials, um, you know, being lazy, being entitled, you know, not having their shit together. And ultimately, like, she's broadly making a point that has been made before, like the issue is capitalism and not our individual failings. And I, and she does point to, to her credit. So my usual number one critique with any discussion about millennials is that, Every generation under capitalism has had poor people and had rich people and people who struggle and people who don't because that's what capitalism is about. But I will acknowledge, and she does too, that there is a uniquely disproportionate number of people in our generation who are struggling like this, which is one of the reasons that people are delaying um, or never having children delaying or never getting married, um, and all of these delaying or never buying a house, and all of these things that used to be really, really common. So, and, you know, obviously, I feel that. And there's same same thing that you said, like, part of it is by choice. Like, it's like, well, I like identify as like a queer, you know, anti-capitalist. So do I know if I like, you know, would want to be doing all of these things that are markers of success, if I had financial stability, you know, I don't know, but I'd certainly be more likely to consider them. Um, You know, I wouldn't be living in a crappy 
I mean, the, my we have a I shouldn't say crappy apartment, but like there's stains all over the floor. Like it's an apartment we're renting. Like there's you know. Yeah, and it's just it's cheaper to own a house. Like if you have the right. money up front, like your mortgage payments right. are way cheaper than renting. Right. So it's financially it's better for you to own a house, even though I'm saying that as a the person that I am. You just pay less. It's well, it's it depends on where. I mean, in Minneapolis, that tends to be true if you have the money up front. That's not the case, like in Boston, for example, at all. Like you can't having a down payment for a house and the mortgage on a house and on the East Coast is going to be a lot harder. That's a good point. Thank you. So it depends on geography. I mean, a lot of her point is uh, one of the things that she begins with is this notion of errand fatigue, I think she calls it. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and I just like relate so fucking hard yeah, to that. Yeah, me too. I hate, ugh, I hate doing errands. Yeah. <laughs> and any paperwork for school, like yes. I just, I refuse to do it. <laughs> I refuse. Yes. I, I have to do it. Yes. I have to do it. But then I get in all sorts of trouble because I don't do right. it on time. And yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. And like, yeah, I just related to that one a lot. And it's very easy to look at, you know, I guess our generation and with all the caveats aside about, you know, people like this have existed in every generation, but and people who don't act like this exist as millennials. So all those caveats aside, I really appreciated thinking about the fact that I still haven't gotten my new license since moving to Minnesota, which you're supposed to do, like, you know, get a new license. Also, my my license is about to expire in a couple weeks. So like I've literally I'm literally waiting to the very last minute because the thought of going to the fucking DMV. Actually, I did go once and the line was so fucking long and I literally didn't have time. I had to I don't remember what I had to go do. I had to go do something else because it actually surprises me that when I was in grad school, I wasn't trying to hustle more. But I think it's because what she said that I really believed that once I finished grad school, I was going to get this stable job and like everything would be set. And then when I realized that wasn't the case, I mean, I've been working multiple jobs since finishing. And and after I lost that contract, you know, at adjuncting, like that's only amplified, you know, considerably just trying to hustle in, in so many different ways. And so when you're doing, when you're hustling constantly, like part of my hustling, I'm grateful and feel, you know, privileged that part of my hustling includes like sitting at a coffee shop, writing shit, you know, grading shit, you know, doing all the you know, all the planning a yoga sequence, like whatever. But that means that I really fucking want that time. Like I want that time. And if I have to lose that time to go to the post office or the DMV or whatever else, like I just like do not want to do it. I just don't. And it and it feels like also I can't do it because I have to do all this other shit. Yeah. And I think there's I if she could have poked at that a li- or like um, unpack that a little bit more. I think there's also something going on with like how we're using our brains now, mm. where a lot of us are in like knowledge production jobs, yeah. you know, and not to say that a lot of us aren't in manual labor jobs where, of course, you don't want to go run errands after you've been like working your literal body right. to sleep. But I was also thinking about how she mentions this too, that like you and I will do like, we'll write a like long form blog post for three hours before we will take 10 minutes to do a menial task at home. Yes. Because oh, I think it's 100%. just like, yes. <laughs> like I think it's, it's, it's there, it's boring. And that's where my ADHD really kicks in that I've learned is like, well, yeah, there's like a low return on reward and it's not, it's not enticing for our brain. So if we're right. already in a knowledge production thing, we're like, we're used to using our brains at high capacities. Yeah. There's nothing more boring even if we have the time then going to the dmv and sitting there because it's like it's just boring and i 
it sounds like somewhat privileged, I guess, when I'm saying all this, but I think it's just how our brains, our brains are just working differently than they were like 30 years ago. I think that's an um, interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. For and sure. everything's online now too. So if we yeah. can't do it online, like right. I was trying to cancel my New York Times subscription, the paper version, because we're not reading it as much and I just feel yeah. like it's a waste. And so I've been trying to cancel, but you can't cancel online. You have to call them because they want to like convince you not to. <laughs> yeah. But I'm like, you want me to call you? Like, I'm not going to call, like, good luck. Okay. I'll do that in like three months. Right. You know, like, you <laughs> and they know me. that. I'm sure they know that. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, they'd make it easy. But yeah. Right. I also got in trouble because I didn't call to reschedule a doctor's appointment that they had to cancel on me. And they're like, well, since you didn't call us back, I'm like, you know what? I try to call you back in my office that I have to share. And so I call, I sat on hold for as long as I could. But once somebody comes in my office, I'm not going to like reschedule a dermatology appointment. Totally. um, With people in the office. So like, I've had that problem a lot where people have been like wondering why I can't call during nine to five. It's like, cause I don't have privacy at my job. Like I'm not calling you. Right. Like I can't, you know? Yes. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff going on, I think, in, in our generation as to why we're not doing the menial tasks. And then, of course, we get like shunned for it. Like, you what? You guys right. can't go to the post office? Like, no, right. I can. But like, right. it's, it's boring. Like, yeah. I don't want to. Right. I want to do something more like interesting with my brain during and my day. And we generally have to, too. Like, we, you know, mm-hmm, if you're mm-hmm. teaching five classes and if I'm teaching three and teaching yoga and if you're babysitting and if, you know, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera, we're recording a podcast, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, it just doesn't stop. So we have, all this other shit to do. We could say it so much, so much more about, about it. I wanted to briefly say publicly one example of this happening with me is that I had a bunch of addresses for Christmas cards. And then I had like a small list of people whose addresses I didn't have. Didn't, I still haven't sent those out. So if you're listening and you're like, I saw on Rachel's Instagram story that she was making Christmas cards and I didn't get one holiday cards rather. It's possibly because I don't have your address. And now I am too overwhelmed with all the other shit to try to find your address and go to the post office. So that's a side note on that. We could say a bunch more. I feel like we want to get to the other stuff. I also think this might come up in uh, our episode on capitalist realism, which we have promised viewer listeners um, based on our last episode about cell phones and mental health. We're going to talk about the Mark Fisher book. So maybe we can dive into some of those other topics that she talks about another time to start shifting into some of these headlines of the first week of 2019. Does that sound like a good plan or any other final words on it? No, that sounds like a great plan. So for people who are listening, just as a reminder, if you want to read the piece, it's fairly long. So give yourself some time, you know, because millennials don't read or anything. Uh, (laughs) It's called uh, How Millennials Became the Burnout Generation by Anne Helen Peterson. And it's on BuzzFeed. So 2019 already has been a busy week in the news. Uh, What, and really everything is ruining our dinner party. So what are we going to start with? Can we start with the Kevin Hart and Ellen situation? Sure. So we talked about Kevin Hart on our last episode and Mm -hmm. the, the fact that he stepped down from hosting the Oscars. And then there's an update on this situation, which is Melody... So shout out to my student, Jeffrey, if you're listening, for letting me know about this. He sent me direct YouTube links to th- to this interview. But Kevin Hart went on Ellen this week to talk to her about the situation. And the long story short is that Ellen wants Kevin Hart to host the Oscars. She thinks it's ridiculous that he stepped down. He She thinks that he has 
apologized and made up for his homophobia in the past. They're friends. Um, and so her being an out gay celebrity who also went through the ringer was in the late ni- 1990s or early 2000s with the Ellen yeah, show? Yeah, I think the late 90s, yeah. Yeah, late 90s, where if so, if you're listening and you're not familiar with it, she had a sitcom and she came out as gay in real life and as her character on the show. And people pulled advertising, like her show got canceled. It was just ridiculous. And like the hate that she went through is just, it was baffling. So she's lived through homophobia. And so she's like this very credible speaker in this interview to say like, Kevin Hart, me as the gay person that's been ostracized by homophobia, like I want you to host the Oscars. And so it's a very compelling argument. And he talked, he went on and on and on about how he was really upset with the backlash that happened on the internet. Like, why would you take, why would you spend all this time digging up tweets from eight years ago? I've apologized. I've apologized already. I don't need to apologize again. You're going to focus too much on me if I continue to host. And so that's the, like, the major update. And can I share some of the, like, criticism of that interview, Rachel? Yeah, please. Okay. I guess there's two forms of criticism. So I found a piece by the, the Vulture through the New York magazine and glommed on to the fact that Kevin Hart had said he apologized many, many times. And they were wondering, like, okay, well, where? And so they yeah. did actually take the time. And they can't actually find any apologies. They find him mentioning it. So, like, this is very common. This is a very common statement he would make. So in Rolling Stone in, like, 2011 or 13, he said about his homophobic jokes, I wouldn't tell that joke today because when I said it, the times weren't as sensitive as they are now. I think we love to make big deals out of things that aren't necessarily big deals because we can these things become public spectacles. So why set yourself up for failure? So that's not an apology. Um, And a lot of his statements are like that saying like, yes, I made that joke in the past. No, I'm not making it anymore. People are too sensitive. That's that's not an apology. So (laughs) today, right now, the Sunday of the Golden Globes, there's no like proof on the on the quote unquote internet that un- unveiled these apologies that he's made because he said like well I was on a press circuit and I just apologized over and over when I was promoting a movie, but there's just no he's mentioning it but he's not apologizing for it right um, and then Don Lemon's was or Don Lemon on CNN he brought in the Glad president uh, Sarah Kate Ellis and she reported that she's been reaching out to Kevin Hart for a while trying to get a meeting and he has not. They have his representatives have been ignoring her requests. Mm. So that doesn't look good for him either. Right, right. <laughs> um, and then from kind of a I guess this applies both to Ellen and Kevin Hart. There is the very real fact that Kevin Hart is a black man. Ellen is a white woman. Kevin Hart's homophobic jokes were about his son, who was also a black man or a black boy at the time. And so there's this racialized thing that's going on that that Ellen did not bring up or push in in any way. Of course, not, because um, she's and, colorblind and genderblind. I, she's all she's all. And you're not you're not. I'm saying those things in scare quotes because you're not. That's that's incorrect language, and it's also shitty politics. But anyway, yes, go yeah. Ahead. <laughs> so this this amazing person on Twitter says. Hi, Ellen. I think you're a cool lady. Have for a while now, but this, this ain't it. Kevin's attacks were geared towards black gay men. That being said, you have no authority to forgive him on behalf of a section of the community you don't belong to. Snappy is on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Don Lemon on CNN also added to that by saying the views that Kevin Hart has espoused in the past 
in the black community, they have real consequences. And then he shared a lot of stats, including one from the American Center for Progress that says 44% of homeless gay youth in America are black. And we talk on the show all the time about how the murder rate for trans women, black trans women is just astronomical. So he's bringing back the idea that like, this leads to like death and suicide and homelessness when even if you quote unquote joke about it. So there's a lot of people that like, still at this point, after even talking to Ellen, they're not they're not supporting Kevin Hart. Right. Because what they're seeing is a lack of apology. Yeah. And I keep not that my opinion really matters in this whole thing, but I just keep wavering, um, especially when I was talking to my student over email about it. I was like, wow, that's really powerful for Ellen to say that to like say that you should you should really host the Oscars because her point isn't necessarily about the homophobic tweets. She really focused on like the haters and that like you shouldn't let the haters bully you out of doing something, which, you know, she has. There's a difference between haters. There's like a dramatic difference between people being upset at homophobia and people being homophobic. That's like very much like the I know I know you know that I'm just like stating the obvious. It's like very. Yeah, it's like the both sides like. There are good and bad people on both sides. Fucking Donald Trump bullshit at the white supremacist rally. Anyway, go ahead. No, and that she believes, like, I think she's really moved by his, the bullying that he received online when in her personal relationship with him, he's a great guy, you know? And so she's like, well, me as a gay woman, like, I don't, you know, like, he's great. Like, he treats me as an equal, so I don't see what the problem is. Right. Um, And I think it's the lack of um, her intersectionality or intersectional analysis that is really kind of keeping her from seeing why other people are really angry with her now and also him. What, What do you think? Should have, or what do you think of this whole of of the situation with Ellen specifically? Right. I guess my first, I can't not think about. Um, over the break, I watched Ellen's stand up special, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which was I laughed out loud. Like there were points that I was like gasping for air. I was laughing so hard. It was really nice to have like wholesome content to like laugh at. But like the beginning, the whole beginning shtick is like that she's a gazillionaire and like, but that she's like ultimately relatable. Like literally, I'm sorry, I'm going to spoil it for everybody. The beginning is like an anecdote about how much money she has, but that she still like knows what it's like to like need to scoot on your bath mat to try to get a towel. And then the end, the very last line is, and she's like, see, so I'm still, I'm still relatable. And she makes all these jokes about how much money she has. And then the end is like she's genuinely saying, it doesn't matter who we are, we we can all be relatable to each other. Like she literally says like almost that thing, that sentence mm-hmm, verbatim. Mm-hmm. And that is just gross <laughs> to me to think of which and I and I think it, it, it I think it's in line with with this whole sort of um, particular circumstance with Kevin Hart, too, because it's a lot of just like, turn the other way. We're all humans like he's nice to me and her personally. And so like, you know. Let's just think about how we can all just be like humans to each other and not think about all these things about like, you know, all these big, scary things. And I I don't know. So that's that's what's coming up for me is thinking about her lack of intersectional analysis and also power, like analysis of power. Again, I think I said it when we talked about this two weeks ago, the Kevin Hart not hosting the Oscars. It's it's like him, a rich guy not getting a job like that's not a that I don't care about that. That's a good point. I just don't care if a millionaire doesn't, you know, or I don't know if he's, a, I'm sure he's a millionaire. Oh my um, God, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I just don't care. Like if he doesn't have that job, like it does not matter to me. And so 
if they want to have, if Helen wants to like help empower him to like feel okay on the internet again, fine. But like, I'm not invested in that at all. I, I feel like I don't have any, much more to say about it. I think I'm not, I wasn't super impressed with Ellen, Ellen doing that though. TBH. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, just to go back to her stand up thing for a second, by her talking about how much money she made, I felt like that was a subtle middle finger to the homophobes. It was that, that fucked her over in the late nineties and be like, see, look at what can happen. Like you tried to like kill me and destroy my career and look at I'm, I'm here. And Kevin Hart said that same thing. He's like, you're trying to destroy a black man's career. Like he tried to make it racial and then she didn't take the bait. That's, that's how I read all the money thing. Cause it did make me uncomfortable, but I was like, maybe she's just being really obvious with it. Cause she's pissed about what happened in the nineties. I think that's a hundred percent likely First comment on Kevin Hart, he has enough money, it's not going to destroy his career. He's, if, if fucking Louis C.K., that fucking piece of shit, if he can still get stand-up yeah. specials. Yeah, like, good point. Like, what the fuck? Kevin Hart, your career is not going to be destroyed. Also, you have a shit ton of money. If you never worked again a day in your life, you would You're be fine. fine. You yeah. still have more money than everybody else, for the most part, in America. With Ellen, I think she probably didn't have – she probably wasn't a millionaire when her show got canceled. In fact, I can probably guarantee that. But for me, like, as an anti-capitalist fucking, you know, class, you know, <laughs> I mean, rich people hating person, I just – that – fine, that probably was, like, a snub at, at her homophobic haters that she's has a million dollars now. But I just think – N- nobody having nobody being a millionaire is ethical like no billionaire is ethical no millionaire is ethical in my opinion i'm i'm with you it still felt gross to me because i think millionaires are gross how do you feel about working for a millionaire company though at core power yeah i mean not good about it at all i knew that that's i don't know i just was like that sucks to like hate millionaires and then like work for one it's like any corporation it's like anybody who works at our, I don't, that's why I don't work for it. That's why I like made sure when I was going through school that I would not work for a corporation because I was like, I don't know how I could handle it. I'm just saying kudos to you for handling it because I, I don't know if I could. It's <laughs> like when my students like tell me how much they make at Nike. You're kidding me. That's all you make at Nike. Like, you no, know, I how know. Much, like what the fuck? And they're like, whatever, free shoes or like 40% off shoes. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's it, it feels not terribly dissimilar to what. Not at community colleges, but like the president and coaches at the U. Oh my god! Yes. Oh, I god. mean, it was so yes. Everybody's exploited labor. Let's keep moving through. The R. Kelly documentary just dropped. I can't see it. Do you have access to Lifetime? I don't, and I don't know if I. I feel like I'm content reading the think pieces about it rather than immersing myself in such awful horror and trauma. Yeah. Um. But I've been reading the think pieces about it and the responses to it. I mean, I think we, you know, I don't know that we've talked about R. Kelly explicitly on the show before, but... Um, oh, I'm sure I've made comments about him. Right. I mean, it's... I've, yeah, I've it's hated him for a completely undeniable that he's a rapist and of, you know, underage girls in particular, and uh, has been protected kind of all along his career um, in spite of it. And so... I mean, what are your what are your thoughts about any of the things you've been reading about it or seeing about it? Because hmm. I, I think my first reaction is like, oh, so now y'all are going to believe this shit? Like, I've been, you know, I've been 
talking to my friends who like R. Kelly for years being like, what is your problem? Like, he's a gross person. Like, how can you as a feminist be supporting him? And they pull out the like, the artist is different than the person. And it's like, whatever. And so I, that is, that was my original response. But then I was reading that piece that you sent over from Hollywood Reporter. And it's because I, my answer, the answer that I got is because the victims are young black women. And then mm-hmm. people, for whatever fucking reason, like will not believe young black women when it's up against like a powerful black man. And as much as I mean, this gets talked about a lot in Black Lives Matter circles where the black, the men who have died get a lot more press and attention than the black women who have died. Mm-hmm. And so this kind of gendered issue within the African-American community and in in every community. I mean, the patriarchy runs rampant everywhere. Um, it's been brought up like this before. And so it's just it just makes me even more angrier that we had to have this like expose this like from what I can tell, like kind of a cheesy documentary done by Lifetime for people to like be like, oh, OK, I guess now we'll be canceling R. Kelly and not playing his songs and yada, yada, yada. It's like, why did it take like what what was the thing that turned them? You know, I guess like hearing their voices, the women finally like felt comfortable coming out and talking right. on camera. But this is the thing, like these women have to go through this trauma of talking about this stuff in public right. and on camera to get people to believe them. Where before it's like when the accusation, I mean, he was gone. He's gone to court, to jail for all this stuff before. And people are like, oh, I don't know. Right. So like Ugh, so yeah. like so you have to like you need to hear from the actual victim and watch them like go through this trauma of retelling their story for you to finally believe them like i just feel like that is super fucked up like in what other crime or horror do we make people retell their trauma to believe to believe them right you know it's like oh you got mugged are you sure like can you retell me the story right it's like (laughs) yeah my house burned down from a fire like did it though like i don't know do you have burns or like do you have a can you show us anything right like that's so anyways it just brings up all that stuff for me and it's like fine i'm glad that people are mad at r kelly now but you know there's been lots of people that have been mad at him for a long time and are just waiting for everybody else to like get on the the boat you know i think the other thing that i just want to say as you know again somebody who who hasn't watched it and probably won't but who's you know interested in it now sort of being on people's radars in this in this particular way um is from this Hollywood Reporter piece. It was Robin Barr who wrote this essay. And another thing that I pulled out from that that I was glad to see is that uh, she says, quote, this document, yes, this documentary is about R. Kelly, but it's actually not about R. Kelly. It's really Mm -hmm, about the vile mm -hmm. systems, networks, and enablers that allow this behavior to thrive. You cannot spend your entire lifetime methodologically humiliating, manipulating, and infantilizing vulnerable young women without an entourage to help you groom your victims, employees who maintain your house of horrors, lawyers who protect you from prosecution, journalists who coddle you with softball questions, industry colleagues who continue to fatten your pockets, fellow musicians who laud your genius, etc., and go on, cop friends who warn you when families are calling about their missing daughters, and so on and Mm. so on and so on. And she says, uh, unspoken here, the countless big name artists who have worked closely with Kelly over the years and refused to speak on camera for this project, as my father used to say, follow the money trail. And so I just think that it's always as we say on the show, kind of, I think all the time is that we have to think about the, you know, the root causes of, of these things, which of course is toxic masculinity and patriarchy and rape culture, but also these networks when we think about it, um, you know, in more concrete ways other than patriarchy, rape culture and toxic masculinity. Like here are some more concrete examples of it that are all part of rape culture. Right. And so just to think about how that's, another thing that that needs to be addressed and and goes 
counter to the narratives that that like a prison culture wants us to to think about, which is like, oh, if we can finally say R. Kelly is a bad man and put him in jail, then problem solved. And it's like, no, not not problem solved at all. And that for me doesn't mean put everybody else in jail. It means we have to like continue to fucking rigorously address the uh the acceptance of of this kind of behavior from vast, you know, different swaths of society. Yeah. And I feel like in a, in America specifically, or the United States, I should say, we have like an obsession with our celebrities that is not cool to this extent in which because of because R. Kelly was a celebrity, right? He had police friends that would help him out. And it's making me think a lot about Chris Brown, too, mm-hmm. and how I've been mad since, you know, he beat up Rihanna all of the artists that continue to work with him and all the artists that were continuing to work with R. Kelly. And they're, they're the, they are the problem. I'm so glad that that writer brought that up because I wasn't like, I was already mad at Chris Brown, but then I get, I get mad at the artists who work with him, like with Drake and Nicki Minaj. It's like, how can you, you know, because you're continuing to allow him to have that celebrity status. And yeah, at no point in, in my thoughts do I'm like, well, they need to go to jail. It's like, no, they just need to be ostracized. For, they should not be able to be a celebrity after this. Like, that's just unspeakable. And so it is, it's, it's not just these individual men, but all the people that prop them up behind, behind the scenes. And I think it, it has a lot to do with our celebrity culture that we will support celebrities. And I, you, we watch it with our students when we're like, we tell them these awful things about celebrities and they're like, hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I just like their beats. Right. Right. It's like, oh. Okay, yeah. like that's how invested they are in celebrity culture that even when we expose the horrendous things and we do it too. I mean, I know yeah. horrible yeah. things about lots of people. I'm like, hmm, I like his songs. Right, right. Yeah. So we're all guilty of it, but it's um yeah. in these more egregious forms, I just it's hard for me to fathom how people can keep working. But like the author says it's like it's money. It's to make it's album sales. Right. It's like, but right. how can they how do they help you sell albums? Like it shouldn't even be like that. They should be this, you know, working with R. Kelly or Chris Brown or whoever should like be destroying your career, you know? Yeah. What what system are we in in which those people continue to help you sell records? Right. Absolutely. Speaking of sort of not people not paying attention to or caring about when black women are victims of violence, I don't know that there's much to say about the death of Jasmine Barnes. It was confirmed that she was killed um, in what appeared to be sort of a wrongful shoot up you know, it appears to be, correct me, Melody, if I'm wrong, like some kind of gang violence situation, right? That That is an assumption. All that the shooters or all the people that got arrested said was that we had the wrong vehicle. So, okay, okay sure. So the I, assumption is probably, I mean, who knows if it's a gang, but like, right. Okay. Um, okay. Vi- gun violence for sure. In the streets, they were trying to shoot somebody in a vehicle and they got the wrong vehicle. Right. And the other thing was the, the, there was a rumor, not even a rumor, but there was like evidence that was showing that it was possibly a white person. And so it was very racialized for a while. Right. Um, and now it's gonna, it's still racialized. It's like this black on black crime. Um, and I saw this really compelling photo online and I've been trying to get the photographer's name and nobody will give it to me, but there's, it's, it's a rapper that, um, he has a gun pointed to his head from both a white, a white cop and a black peer. And I think that just says so much about what's going on in our country right now, that black people both are victims of police violence and then violence in their own communities. Hopefully, there's more discussion to be had about the violence. But again, I don't want it to be that like, it's just the black community that that suffers from gun violence, because that's not the situation. That's not the case. But because of poverty, and um, lacks, you know, all the things that we talk about in this 
on this podcast, the African-American communities here in the United States like do suffer from a lot of peer-on-peer violence, which is really, really sad. The this phrase black-on-black crime has been used in ways that really pathologize the black community. And I hear that that's exactly what you're trying to like say that you're not saying that, you know, we think there's these root, there's these deeper root causes, poverty and racism foundational to them that, you know, gang violence exists in lower income communities, but it's not, I'm just scare quoting black on black crime because it's been used in really, really vile ways. So the, the problem is that we create conditions that enable gun violence, right? And not because there's anything wrong with black communities per se. Correct. Thank you. So to totally shift gears, and I this feels a little bit awkward, but also feels better to end maybe on a lighter note. And also it's relevant because, you know, as we've talked about all the time on the show, pop culture is, you know, sort of relevant to these, these issues, we think. And it is award season officially. The Golden Globes kind of kicks off. Um, the Golden Globes is the, you know, the show before the Oscars, which happens at the end of February. And if you're a longtime listener, you know that uh, I watch generally excitedly melody watches sometimes you know dis- disdainfully but oftentimes we we watch these shows um to talk about to, th- to see what sort of thing can happen and so um some interesting things are happen there are uh, quite a few films so um, i'm looking at best motion picture nominees for golden globes include black klansman beale street could talk which is based on a james baldwin novel and black panther um, the other two are Bohemian Rhapsody and A Star is Born. And so, and Bohemian Rhapsody is about a gay man. A Star is Born is just about two straight white people. And so that's, there's been a lot of discussion in sort of the pop culture world about how representation is, how it's demonstrating that these quote, the quote, like risk that Hollywood studios started taking by doing quote, black films or Asian films or gay films, like that it's actually making them the money they were afraid they weren't going to make, which is not my end goal, obviously. Like, I don't care about movie studio executives making more money, but I am interested, and as I know you are too, Melody, in the ways that when things get popular in pop culture, that that inevitably has an influence on culture broadly. And so that's cool. Golden Globes, unlike the Oscars, also has a category to differentiate comedy um, from drama, and uh, that also comedy includes Crazy Rich Asians, the movie called a movie called The Favorite, which I haven't seen yet, but apparently has a lot of lesbian undertones. Green Book, which looks to me like a pretty terrible white savior feel good kind of mm. blindside type movie. Um, Mary Poppins, the new Mary Poppins, and then Vice, which I saw. And Melody, I think you should see if you haven't already. Are you going to see With Vice? Vice? Yes, I'm. I can't wait to be so angry for two hours. Yeah, I mean that's what what it is. It is being angry for two hours. It's also I would I would love you to see it, and I would love to talk about it on you with you on air because I have I have some thoughts. Okay, um, and would love to hear yours. I just like talking about that era with you because I know that's when we were both politicized. So anyway, it's also it's also um, Golden Globes also does television. I think it's exciting because one of the one of the series nominated for best drama is Pose. I sadly haven't seen Pose yet. I just haven't had time to sort of fit it into my brief TV watching time. But Pose has transgender actors, transgender writers, transgender producers. Mm. And I thought, and I should have done more research on this, but I Billy Porter is nominated from Pose under the best actor category. But I think, and I know Transparent had some, I want to say that there's a non-binary actor 
that was potentially going to get a nomination or people were talking like, if there's a non-binary actor, like what category would they put them in? Because, you know, of course, mm. awards award shows are based on the gender binary. So mm. that's an interesting thing, too, to think about as we get more shows and as more human beings like begin to identify as non-binary. That's just that's interesting. And, you know, we certainly haven't had enough. I think there have there there are definitely have finally been trans. I know at least trans women who have been nominated as you know in in a, the award category for women you know it's just it just it just brings up another interesting part about award award shows because they're they're rooted in that binary um and also that get out is a comedy from last year right i know i remember know. that and, like yeah, it's the choices, like i know they can't even fucking use categories correctly sometimes it's true they definitely can't because like bohemian rhapsody and a star is born aren't like because it's musical or comedy and so those could oh, technically my. be why are they in the same why are musicals and comedy in the same category yeah i mean it's yeah so it's it's they made they made they made strange choices but there are no categories man we're all just one (laughs) yeah but i actually so when i'm in cleveland i usually try to see my family's as i've talked about big movie movie goers so we saw the uh why am i blanking on the name of it mary queen of scots which i didn't want to see because i hate the monarchy um yeah me too i find it boring um, yeah but it was actually interesting and and then I saw Vice, and then I saw, uh, those are the two I saw in Cleveland, and I have seen A Star is Born, and of course Black Panther. I did see Crazy Rich, Crazy Rich Asians. Did you see that? I did not. I know a lot about it, though, and how it did in China poorly. Oh, interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. I thought Should it was I see like, it? Uh, I mean, if you want, like, to be part of, like, you know, what's hip. I mean, it was like a, it was like a sweet, good romantic comedy, and I heard a really good commentary on a podcast called Pop Culture Happy Hour, where it might have even been Kat Chow, who I really... I really like her pop culture analysis. It was her or somebody else on the show that was like, it's like an, it's like a good romantic comedy. It's nothing groundbreaking outside of the fact that it's an all Asian cast. And stupidly in the US, we haven't had that in over a decade. But what, but what is important as we get more representation is that we need to leave space for quote, like Asian movies or black movies or gay movies to be mediocre, right? Like, cause white, there's shit tons of mediocre totally. white movies and white people still get to have movies. So like, it's, it's good. Um, I mean, I don't like watching rich people, that's for sure. So that was troubling, but, um, you know, it's sweet. It's like a sweet romantic comedy, but that, and that's fine though, right? Like it's so. Yeah. There just needs to be like more films that right. are not just like white people because right. that medi- mediocrity can like exist otherwise right. then it's like well here is the one asian movie of, right. of the year coming out from the united states so like exactly. it better be the best thing ever or because it shows like with black panther because that was so successful now everybody's like well we're gonna have to do more black films because like it's so right. it's so it's like that's how powerful and how arbitrary sometimes these decisions right. can be maybe people will be watching happy awards season sad rest of the news season you always say that we, you have to be able to have fun right if possible yeah with all I the think, trauma that's going on we're yeah. lucky enough that we can shut it off uh, right and not everybody has that that privilege or that luxury but um if you have the ability i think it's important to carve out space so that you don't get dragged down to the point of not being able to function yeah, and I, I feel but I feel also that therapists say that to people going through trauma too. You yeah, know, every time I, totally. I am going through something really bad, Peggy's always like, A lot of self care this week, Melody, a lot of right. self care. It's like, okay, you got yeah. you know, so I mean right. it's for everybody, you right. need to do that. Totally. Um, it's important. Totally. Do we want to do a real quick RWL? Sure. Okay. Especially because we already really talked about what we were watching. It's true. 
I'm reading The Chronology of Water, which is a memoir I've been wanting to read for a while. Um, I have a couple problems with it. Mostly I think it's some of the most beautiful, like, um, compelling writing that I've read in a long time, and I'm really enjoying it and, like, can't wait to go to bed so I can read it before bed, um, which is, it's been a while since I've had a book like that, which is I exciting. love books like that. Yeah, it's really, it's I feel I feel happy to have that. I just talked about a bunch of movies I was watching. I'll say one more. What I have made time for on TV was, um, so Marie Kondo is the... Mm-hmm. Oh, are Japanese you watching her? I'm watching Tidy. <laughs> and I, is it good? I, like, cry every episode. I really like decluttering, and I really like the, and believe in, like, the spiritual, like, power of that and mm-hmm, the families mm-hmm. on it. Especially the second and third episode families are just, like, really lovely, and I, I like it. I mean, there's there's a whole thing to say about capitalism and all the things, but I won't right now. And listening to uh, a bunch of different stuff. Um, my time at the future, um, doing witchy stuff. I've been having kind of my witchy, witchy music. And that's often Juliana Barwick, who makes really ethereal, like noise sound music. That's really pretty. Um, what about you? Oh, I would. Julia Barnes. Juliana Barwick. I don't know why I just decided to say somebody else <laughs> that exists. <laughs> I was like, that's not who does that. <laughs> I really I want more like ephemeral, like noisy Oh, stuff, yeah. So then check her out for sure. Okay. Julia Barnes. Got it. Um, <laughs> I'm reading Michelle Obama's book, Becoming, and it's very good. I'm watching the Golden Globes. Mm-hmm. I am listening to The Promise Ring because my nephew oh. Liam really likes loud and fast music. Oh. So I've been going through my discography and trying to find all that. And I love that. So we bounce around to Promise Ring. Love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Amazing. Okay. Well, FKJ. Power. Bye.